the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Yeah, you go away a couple of weeks and you, all muscle memory goes away. Today's message is part three in a three-part series on Colossians. Two weeks ago, Canon Bales introduced the first part of Colossians saying, here's the big question here. What do you think of God? And I think the way that you could pose the question from last week in Canon Bales' message was, well, what does God think of you? Well, he thinks enough of you to baptize you into the death and life of Jesus Christ. This week, I'd like you to consider the question that Paul would put before you now. What do you think of you? And I want to propose to you that Paul would have you think about three things for yourself. Because of my baptism in Christ, I get to live in a new place. Because of my baptism in Christ, I get a new set of clothes. And because of my baptism in Christ, I get a new family, a new place, a new set of clothes, a new family. That's how I think about myself. Listen to these first verses from chapter 3 of Colossians, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4. It may or may not be close to what is in your bulletin. If, therefore, you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things above. Now, I don't know if you've ever been underwater for just a little too long and then come up and felt the exhilaration of, ah, I can breathe. That's the world that Paul says we have been introduced to, that world of the wonder of, I was nearly dead, but I'm alive. And now I seek the things above. Oh, because did you notice it's you were raised up together with Christ. You didn't bring yourself up out of the baptismal waters that should have drowned you. He jumps into the waters with you and brings you up. And now he would have you live with him because, as he goes on, he is at the right hand of God, seated, and therefore think on the things above, not the things upon the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with him together with Christ in God. And then when Christ is manifest, your life then also you will be manifest with him in glory. Critical point in part of our worship comes at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. It's called the sursum corda, which is Latin for lift up your hearts. You know that drill. Lift up your hearts. Yeah, for the summer that's not real bad, but it's not great. So, the celebrant will say, lift up your hearts. Yes, at this point in the service, we are, we are emphatically taking ourselves up into the heavenly places, seeing ourselves there. 
What comes with our baptism is a heavenly life in the now. Um, in the fourth century, Christians had the privilege of building a beautiful place in Jerusalem to help to tell this story. We have built one ourselves here. And the, whole, the architecture of the, of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem and the architecture of this gorgeous place is designed to do one thing, put you and me in that place. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember as vividly as though it were yesterday, the day when 11 years ago, I walked in those doors and worship was about to begin. And my experience could only be described in a word that Cyril of Jerusalem, who ministered in that church back in fourth century Jerusalem, coined to explain what was going on. I've, I've told you about that word before, but it's one of my favorites, so you'll hear it again. Frico destates. Frico means like to be shuddering, to have, your, have goosebumps. And the rest of the word is like most awesome. Most freaking awesome. I walked into this place, and I found the building taking me up. Frico de States, the organ trumpeting out the, 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 the glory of God. Frico de States, the choir providing a bed for the congregation's praise and worship. And thank you to the family choir for ministering through the summer. Frico de Stades, seeing the story of Jesus told in the lower story of our stained glass. Frico de Stades, the 12 pillars of the apostles supporting our faith. Frico de Stades, the, the, the cloud of witnesses on the, on the clear story, the upper story of stained glass. Those who have gone before us and are now cheering us on. Frico de Stades, the gorgeous picture of creation that greets the sun every morning. Frico de Stades, and the picture of the Alpha and the Omega, where, it's, where the whole story is ending. Frico de Stades, walking into this place, and the smell of the prayers that permeate the walls. Incense aided. Frico de Stades. This place was built so that you and I can understand that this is a sanctuary from the craziness in the world and a promise that one day all is going to be made right because it's been made right in our hearts right now and we have been realigned with God's heart. Oh, and then there are the crazy clothes, the vestments, that themselves are a reminder that we've all been given new clothes, which is my second point, the second gift, a new set of clothes. Listen to these verses again, verse 5 through verse 10. Put to death, therefore, the members that are merely about the earth, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lusts, evil desires, and that greed which is idolatry, because of which things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, among whom also you all walked formerly back when you were living among them. 
But now, put away from yourselves all these things, wrath, anger, evil, slanderings, filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another because you've stripped off the old man with his practices and, and are, have put on the new man who's being remade for the knowledge that is accordance with the one who's created that new person that you are. And then in verses, verses 12 and following, he'll talk not about the things that you put off, but the things that you actually do put on, like compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. And above all these things, he says, put on love. Because you know what those are? Those are Jesus. Take off one set of clothes and put on a new set of clothes. <laughs> when I was a kid, there were like two reggies. There's red shirt red striped shirt reggie, and then there was a ruby red jacket reggie. It seemed that somehow every time I wore my favorite shirt, which was a red striped button-down collared shirt, I would get in an argument with a teacher. I mean, if I got a 98 on an exam, it was like, that should have been 100. If I, if I struck out, in softball at, on the playground, I would throw my bat, I would throw a temper tantrum. It was, it was just horrible. And it seemed like every time I wore my favorite shirt, that would be me. Red striped shirt Reggie in the dean's office once again. That's why it freaks me out to have a dean study up there because I spent too much time in a dean's office. But there was another Reggie, and that was ruby red jacket reggie. Because my mom and dad, when I was a kid, bought me this really cool red blazer. I mean, it was a bright red blazer that I, would, that I would wear to church a lot. And we were Presbyterians, so we didn't really have the right language, and we didn't have the real, you know, procession and everything. But I got to carry the thing that lit the candles at the front, because we did have a couple of candles. And the, some of the older ladies in the church started saying, oh, there's Reggie with the ruby red Reggie with his ruby red jacket. And as weird as it seems, it became an aspiration to me to be worthy of wearing the ruby red jacket. And when I became baptized for real, I realized the Lord was saying the red striped shirt days of going out of control are over. That's not you anymore. What you've been raised to is the life of growing into the ruby red jacket. The white robes of the righteousness that are Christ's gift to you. And just to pick up on three examples that Paul mentions in this list of things to, to deal with and to put them to death. My sexuality. I had to come to realize as one baptized into the life of Jesus Christ, I have this not for myself, but for the service of Christ to teach me to long for the day 
to long for the day when there is consummation of the deepest loves that we have, when the bridegroom comes and takes his bride to himself, of which by grace I am a part. But in the meantime, I have this, this about me that's God's gift, and I'm called to put it in his hands, whether through abstinence and celibacy or through faithful union with somebody else, with one somebody else. And by God's grace, and God has been gracious, perhaps for the sake of children, for the next generation. My money. God doesn't give me money just for me, but he gives me money because he wants to bless other people through me. What a sad picture it is we have in Luke chapter 12, how, how, how wrong-minded. The land of the rich man brought forth plentifully. Who brought it forth? The land. And he thought to himself, he didn't say, Lord, thank you. He didn't even say, oh, land, thank you, which might have led him eventually to say, well, where'd the land come from? But no, no, no. It was, he thought to himself. That's the extent of his prayer life. He thought to himself, well, what should I do? I know where to store my crops, so I'm going to build bigger barns. Well, you know what? That's a temporary arrangement. An accounting is a coming. I want to live in the wonder of the fact that the accounting has, been, has taken place on my part. I came across this week a wonderful story in BBC of, an, of a Welshman uh, minister who's uh, senior in age and is very discouraged about the fact that so many chapels are being shut down in, 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 uh, in Wales and sold as they call them flats, we might call them apartments. And so he took 200,000 pounds of his own resources and bought 12 of these chapels and set about restoring them so that they would continue to be places of worship. Now he knows that that's a project that's not gonna get done in his day, but he sees himself calling others to come alongside him. I want to be that guy. I want to be using what the Lord has given me, knowing that the, an accounting for my wrong ideas about money and what they're all about has been taken care of on the cross so that I can live with the one in, whose, in whom my life really is and bless others. And my language. My goodness, God didn't give me the gift of words so that I could abuse people or demean them or manipulate or power trip over them. He gave me words to build up and to affirm. Listen, evil and destructive words do come back on you. Then again, so do words of kindness words of upbuilding, words of blessing, and words of cooperation, which brings me to the, my third point. We've been given a new family. Here, verse 11, our last verse for today. 
where there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Another wonderful picture that gets painted for us here in this place is Jesus with his arms once outstretched on a cruel cross, having come into a sin-infested world, having taken his place among the wretched and the unwanted, having drunk the full measure of a judgment that we deserved, all of us, now inviting all of us to the table of his abundance. The Greek, those who have been shaped to think of themselves as entitled and refined and culturally superior to everybody else. The Jew, those who though spending centuries outcast and discarded by the rest of the human race, nonetheless respected so deeply as the religiously refined and superior. The circumcised, those bearing the marks of insider covenant faithfulness, the people who know the prayer book by heart. The uncircumcised, those coming from way outside who had no idea how even to use a prayer book. Barbarians and Scythians, Barbarians were, from a Greek point of view, literally babblers, because that's what barbar means. Bar, 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 babble, babble, babble. People who sounded like uncouth country hicks. And Scythians, from the wild steppes north of back then Parthia, now Iran, the wild steppes north of there, thought of as unwashed, violent, Hordes, I don't know, think of Conan the Barbarian. Slave and free. Those used to calling the shots and those used to being at the wrong end of the shot calling. The point, you're not so exalted that he doesn't care enough to humble you. You're not so low that Christ doesn't care enough to elevate you. And what I love about this picture is that under the welcoming arms of Jesus, we gather in the, well, almost round, facing each other on our knees in view of one another, welcoming each other. Because here, nobody is not wanted. Here, nobody is better than anybody else. Here, nobody is worse than anybody else. Here, nobody is told, go back to where you belong. Here, nobody is made to feel like dirt. Here, nobody is any less loved, honored, valued than anybody else. Here, nobody could possibly be loved any more than they are by Jesus himself. And here, you could not possibly be loved any more than you are by Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to do 
exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask. To Him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.